Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. With communion today, we're going to um, do our Bible reading as part of the message time. So in Matthew chapter 7, we're going to read verses 1 to 12. Matthew 7, beginning with verse 1. Jesus is speaking. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Amen. You may be seated. Focusing on the Messiah. Again, we're looking at the book of Matthew. And as we've considered um, Matthew's gospel, good news, his account of the life of Messiah, the ministry of Messiah, the sacrifice and redemption for us of the Messiah. We have gone through, to this point, his, uh, his birth, his forerunner, his preparation, and we're talking about his message. And we saw that... Jesus proclaimed as a, a proclamation for us to change the way we think, to repent, because the kingdom of God was already at hand. And then in this section of the Sermon on the Mount that we've been going through, we're seeing how Jesus is discussing how we can change the way we think. That the standard of the kingdom, if you would, is a totally different standard than that of the world. It is a higher standard because ultimately the standard of the kingdom is... God himself. It's the perfection of God. And that, that is to what we ought to attain. And in that passage that we talked about in Matthew 6, we see the fact that we can't attain it. But that he gives us the promise, he gives us a statement that one day we will be perfect, even as our Father in heaven is perfect. And then we move on in Saul, that was at the end of 5, and then into 6, that it was a definitive standard, that since the standard is God himself, that it is a definitive standard and that there is no middle ground. You're either choosing to follow and serve God, or you're choosing to follow and serve the world. It's going to come out in your mindset. It's going to come out in your worldview. Who are the ones that are affecting you? Do you spend more time in the world educating and and mentoring you, or do you spend more time allowing God and Christ to mentor you? A little aside, to kind of throw things in as you go, but John chapter 8, 
Then said Jesus to those Jews who what? Believed on him. We'd call them what? Believers. Okay? But Jesus said, Then said Jesus to those Jews who believed on him, If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The flip side of that is if you're not abiding in his word, you're not his what? His disciple. You won't know the truth, and therefore you will not be set free. So if you are spending all your time looking to the world for wisdom and education in your mentoring, and you say, oh, I don't look for them for mentoring. If you're spending all your time reading social media, looking at the news, listening to the Rush Limbaugh's of the world, I don't care who they are. Makes sense. You can put it wherever you want. If you're listening to all the pundits of the world, then honestly, you are placing yourself as a disciple of the world and not a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you want to think like Jesus, if you want to think with a kingdom standard, then you need to spend time with, with kingdom teaching. And that's just not coming on a Sunday morning and punching a ticket. That's spending time every day. Not um, quality time, but quantity time with quality. Again, I've shared it in a couple of weeks ago or whatever. That, that Bible minute just drives me bonkers. I, I get it. I'm excited for different ministries there, and I don't mean to condemn that ministry. But just the thought process that people feel like they can give what? One minute to God. You know, the proverb for the day. They don't mean a chapter of Proverbs. They mean a what? A verse. I read one verse of Proverbs and I'm good for the day. Really? The Word of God is so practical. It's so applicable. And so is then the standard of the kingdom. We look at the teachings and we think, oh, how can I do this? But the reality is what Jesus is doing, again, is he's summing up and he's intensifying and he's revealing what the original intent was of the law. You've heard it said, but I say unto you. And so as we look at this standard that is different, higher, definitive, we also see that it's a practical standard. And what Jesus is about to do is he's about to kind of take a, take a curve here, kind of come around the bend, and he's going to start making more applications. And he's going to start applying the standard to how we think and how we act. He's going to reveal it that it's a practical standard. And he's going to look in three different areas that I'm going to put down as discernment. He's going to show, if you would, the book of Proverbs in the book of James. James is the New Testament book of Proverbs, if you would, okay, in a sense. And he's going to take a lot of these Proverbs, these, these, these points of wisdom that really are extracted from the law, and he's going to bring them into this teaching. And so discernment, you can see, is the ability to judge well. It's going to become important because we've already read the passage, right? And verse 1 says what? What's the first couple words? Judge not. Okay? But that's not, we, I think we misunderstand that sometimes. We're going to talk about that, okay? But discernment, which is a key of the book of Proverbs and a, a key of God's word, is the ability to judge well. It is the art of thinking critically without unnecessarily being critical. 
the word critical, critic, actually comes from the Greek word kritos, which is our word for judgment. There's, it, 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 it and derivations of it occur numerous times throughout this passage. Okay? And so, um, it is not a sin, as we're going to see, to think critically. But it is to be critical. Okay? There is a slight line in having kingdom thinking. It's that concept of the balance that we need to understand. It is the ability to humbly think like God thinks. And to be able to apply that to life situations without being condemnatory to everybody we meet. In this passage, we're going to see three areas where Jesus applies then discernment or judging well. First is going to be what I refer to as our insights. You could put opinions there if you want. I like the word insight. It sounds what? Sounds nicer, doesn't it? Because opinions just sounds like, oh, you can discard that. But it's an, from our perspective, when we have them, we see them as very what? Insightful, don't we? I've got great what? Insight into the situation. So, so you could put the word opinion in there if you want. You could put the word criticism in there if you want. But I don't think it's necessarily the word criticism. That, again, comes from our word what? Kritos as well. Okay? But I'm going to use the word insight because it makes me feel better that I've got a great insight. I struggle with this area, so I want to make myself feel pretty good on this one, okay? So, regarding your path, and then finally regarding your foundation, which is the most critical thing. As See, we got our word critical, huh? See? It's, it's very what? Critical. It's important, right? So, we, we get these things. They're, they're the, the basis of what? Judgments, okay? So, we want to jump right into here with the first part, verses 1 to 5, the sermon regarding your, your insights, Okay? And what do we see? And I'm going to spend a lot of time behind the pulpit today because i got a lot of verses that we're going to want to share. And I may ask some of you to share some of them, read some of them as we go along. Um, that way it's just kind of a sharing a wealth moment. Okay? But what do we see here in verse 1? Right off the bat, we see this command, okay? this, this exhortation to do what? To not judge. Okay? And so Jesus gives us then, first of all, this statement of, um, the critical nature of, of judging um, in just a little statement. When we put ourselves in the place of God, we put ourselves in the place of God by condemning others according to our standards. So when you judge, so Jesus says what? Judge not, lest you be judged. We'll get with the lest you not be judged in a moment, okay? First of all, the critical nature, judge not. And the idea here is that you are setting yourself up as, the, as God. You're the judge. And so the ultimate judge is God. But when you judge somebody else, when you have your insight, which means that because you you have this insight, that means that somebody else's insight is what? Is incorrect. I know I'm right on this one. Right? Oh, see, this is, see, you all agree with me I'm right. See, that's good. I, it's a lot, I'm getting a lot of affirmation here. Okay, so that means I can go on and continue with my insights because I know that I'm going to be what? Right. See, oh, I love you, Michelle. This is exciting. I'm, I'm going to continually be right this whole message, right? No, <laughs> Ron, Ronnie's got this one down pat. No, no, no. <laughs> but we start to do this, okay? And it's when we transition 
from having an insight, we'll talk about this in a moment, okay, to making, because I have my insight, my opinion, instantly everybody else's opinion is what? Is wrong. Well, we say different, but this part of judging, okay, this is, a, this is important, okay? I, I want to get the, because we're going to talk about this coming through, because Jesus talks about this from different angles here. This is really exciting, okay? Okay? But the, the, the first step here, the first side of this, this, is like one of these, answer a fool according to his folly and you'll become like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. You read that and you go, what am I supposed to do? Okay? So this is one of these things, okay? Because we're going to come back to the other side of, of this, this concept, okay? But the first side is judge not. What does he mean? Well, he's talking about setting yourself up as a judge. You have your opinion, and now all of a sudden it's your opinion that what? Matters. It defines everything else. So your opinion, if my opinion is that the book is read, your opinion is what? Wrong. Unless you what? You say it's read. If you say it's burgundy. Years ago, Marsh and I, we had this little discussion over our first, um, our first couch. She's smiling. She remembers it. And so what was it? Go ahead. It was brick red. It wasn't. It was maroon. It was a burgundy color. I, we had a fireplace. The fireplace was brick red. This couch did not match the bricks on the... Do you get it? Now, this is meaningless, isn't it? This is... I mean, so I only bring this one up because it's so funny. I mean, that's when we first got married. The first house we moved into. And then we had... What color carpet? It was red. Come on. It was a different kind of red. It didn't even match the brick. How do you do it? It was a cardinal red. I don't know what kind of red it was. And so you can get into these debates over the stupidest things. Make sense? Churches are divided over the stupidest things. Now, what's the point? The whole point is setting myself or setting up a standard. If you would, because we're talking about what? Kingdom standards. Setting up a standard and judging others based upon them when my standard itself isn't what? Necessarily built upon the kingdom standard. Do you get where I'm going? Okay. Isn't that what Jesus talked to the Pharisees later on in Matthew 15? We'll get there in a few years from now. Anyways, <laughs> a few weeks, few months, right? And that is that the traditions of men were becoming more important than the standards of God. And they were assessing everybody based upon traditions and their own standards is really the idea. Okay? And so Jesus is warning based upon what he's teaching about kingdom standards. He's warning against us, us, we put ourselves there, placing something other than God's word or insights as the standard. Judge not and then he goes on, though, and talks about, uh, I'm sorry, James 4. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Yahweh, the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil against one another. He who speaks evil of a brother judges his brother, speaks evil of the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a what? A judge. So when we set up our own what? Our own standard, we're setting up our own what? Law. And we're saying that what we think is more important than what God thinks is really what's being stated there. We become the judge of God. Because God's the one who did what? Established the law. Okay? But the reciprocal nature then of judging. 
Judge not, lest you be what? Judged. Oh, but it gets worse, doesn't it? And with what judgment you judge others, it shall what? Measured unto you. I meant to bring my measuring tape. Now, this is an extremely important thing. I, was, I, I, I could become very... Um, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the proper word <laughs> for this. Anyways, when we would do decks and stuff like that, you always want to use the same measuring tape when you've measured for the spot and when you're measuring the cut. Because not necessarily, am I right, Ben? Is every measuring tape exactly the same? There's always a little play at the end of that tape. When you pull it, that little play opens up. And you've got to be careful whether that little play opened up. Okay? And whether it's popped back together again when you're going to measure that board, because it could be an eighth or three sixteenths different. And all then you're cutting a piece of trim, okay? It may not be a deck. Deck it doesn't matter. You can go, ah, oh, it's a little bit a little character there. And um, and so well, I don't mean character that way, yeah, right. Anyways, but but when you're doing a finished product, so let's say we're doing kitchen cabinets or whatever, and you want them to be what? You want it to fit right in. You want to be able to, you gotta bow that piece of trim board. Am I right, Ben? You gotta bow it just a little bit so that when you slide it in and you let it go, it fits into place. If you get it so that you actually can slide it in, it's too short. And there will be a gap. And so the standard that you use to measure has to be the standard you use to cut. Jesus is saying the same thing. You want to cut somebody? I'm going to grab your tape. And I'm going to measure you by the same tape that you measured them. Now, let me ask you a question real quick, because we're talking about the, the standard you use and the severity you use. We'll talk about the standard for one, one moment real quick. Uh, I wish Gerald was here, but most of you will get this. And Steve, you, you, you helped minister down at the Augusta Rescue Mission, okay? So down in the rescue mission, we have multiple guys that we help. And I'm going to pick on them for a moment, okay? Because clearly, using this illustration, we don't have these problems. Uh, but we do, okay? So they're down there because of alcohol, or drugs, right? Or maybe crime. It could be money problem. Okay. So if I if I look at alcoholism, okay, what's really the what's the struggle of an alcoholic? Do they want to drink? Most alcoholics, when it went well, no. You say yes, but when they realize there's a problem, they don't want to drink. What's their real problem? Self control. What about a drug addict? Self control. What about a gossip? <gasps> Self-control. What about a chocoholic? Oh, I didn't say that, did I? Stop. <laughs> Self-control. Think about it. Think about it. The, 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 when you boil it down to it, the issue is self-control. You can't say what? No to yourself. So the standard you use, God's going to use back at you. You want to condemn an alcoholic? What can't you say no to? Are you working on it? Are you confessing it? You want to put down that, that person who is struggling with sexual sin, whatever it is? Again, it's going to boil down to what? Self-control. It just comes out into what? A different area. Lust of the flesh is lust of the flesh is lust of the flesh. You're seeking to what? Please your flesh. It still boils down. What about the pride of life? You want to pick on Trump or 
President Obama or President Clinton or President Bush or whoever, you know, we want to put out there and say, oh, they only want to be president because they're full of themselves. Do you ever struggle with a time that you want people to focus on you? Remember we talked last week, did you ever have people are praying and you're waiting for them to pray for you? Oops. Guess what? That's a focus on yourself. That's pride of life. The standard you use, God's going to take the same standard, and he's going to what? He's going to put it back at you. Therefore, don't have standards. That's not what he's saying. (laughs) But that's how we like to do it then, right? Live and let live. Let's do it all because God won't judge us. No, that's not the case either. Go back to point, the first point, and that is what? Don't have your own standards. Quit, quit putting your own opinions out there. But the standard you use and the severity you use, God's going to bring it back at you. Romans chapter 2. Turn there with me, okay? It's up here, but I want you to turn there. Romans chapter 2. Now, Romans tap, chapter 2, this is a no-brainer, right? But I'm going to say it anyway. Comes on the heels of Romans chapter 1, okay? So I'm actually going to start in Romans chapter 1. Okay? Verse 18, Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the what? Truth. So why is the wrath of God going to be coming out? Because people are suppressing the truth. Don't miss this. Because we start to look at all the what? The... The, the, the things, that the, the externals that come out of this, okay? God's wrath is coming because people are choosing to what? Say it all together. Suppress the truth, okay? In unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without what? Excuse. They have no what? Excuse, right? Because although they what? They knew God. They did not glorify him as God, nor were they what? Thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were dark. And professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them also up to their uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up and so on and so forth. And he starts talking about what he gave them up to and we don't need to spend the time talking about all that uh, badness. Okay? You all know it. Okay? You can continue to read it if you don't know about it. The homosexuality and all that kind of stuff. The stuff we see prevalent in our land that we like to what? Pick on. We like to look at and say those are the problems in our land. That's what's happening in our land. This is evil in our land. And we like to what? Be honest. Condemn. Exactly right. Chapter 2, verse 1. On the heels of all this. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Wait, no, I don't. We just went through this list. I'm not those things. Hold on for a second. But we know that the judgment of God is according to what? Truth. 
against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, changing the way you think, but in accordance with your hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in a day of wrath, in revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one, according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, immortality, not immorality, immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey, what? The truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul who does evil of the Jew first and also for the what? Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. In chapter 2, it states very clearly, verse 8, what again is the base standard for the judgment that we saw in chapter 1? Not obeying the truth. They're suppressing the what? Truth. When you disobey the truth, what are you really doing? You're, you're suppressing the truth. You know the truth. You know who God is. You're the same way. And so, what are the, what, what's the truth of God's word that you're suppressing? What's the truth of God that you know? I mean, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then Jesus said, it's profitable for you for me to leave, because if I will go, if I go, I will send you who? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Comforter. And his job is going to be to lead you into all truth, to remind you of the things I have taught you. Elsewhere, again, he says he's he's going to lead the world into righteousness, judgment, and sin. The Holy Spirit's job is to do what? Convict us. To teach us, to remind us of the truth of God's word. And if God is true, that's a rhetorical statement, isn't it? Because he is then he's going to do what he said. And he's going to convict us. So I ask you, I'm not, I know I'm not even to those final questions. This is awful. What truth are you suppressing? When you get to the point where you're not suppressing the truth, then you can do what? Sit in, sit in the judgment seat of those who are. Whose job is it to judge? God's. It doesn't mean that I embrace sin. It just means I mean to be careful of who I'm judging. We'll continue on with it. The hypocritical nature of judging. This is that speck in the beam passage. And why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye when there's what? A beam that's in your own eye. And so, I mean, I get this. You know, again, we're out there doing the the building the deck or whatever, right? And, And so, at the same time, I get a little piece of sun, sawdust in my eye, and then Matt gets a whole shard of, of, of a piece of wood in his eye. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this is awful. And he's like, ah, oh, this, you know. And he says, here, let me help you. That doesn't make much sense, does it? He can't see at all, and yet he wants to help me get what? The speck. It's not going to work well, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. Look, you're looking at everybody else, and you, and you see the what? In your, with your wisdom and in your insight, you see they have a 
problem. They got a problem. And they need your help. Not just help. They need your help. Because you have all this what? Insight. You've got all this discernment and insight to be able to share with other people. And so you see the speculativeness in their eye, and they clearly need Dr. Bob to come into their life and to help them out. I, I, I joke about it, but I get it. You know, the more you read God's Word, and the more you fill with it, okay, there, God can use you. But that pride of life still hanging out in you, isn't it? And so it's, it's so easy to hear somebody else's problem and instantly what? Judge them, but want to become Mr. Fix-It. And I've had to learn over the years that sometimes when people talk to me, they're not looking for my opinion of how to fix it. They just want to what? Share. They may want somebody just to hug them and love them through it. They don't really care about me pontificating on the whole situation. Especially... When I got a what? A beam in my own eye. Because a lot of times that means I can't really see what they're really having a problem with. Because I got a problem in my own life that needs to be fixed first. And so there's that hypocritical nature. So Proverbs, again, Jesus bringing all these Proverbs together. The hypocrite with his mouth destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous will be delivered. All the ways of a man are what? Pure. In his own eyes. But Yahweh weighs the spirits. So many times. Let me think about it. Your opinion is right. Why? Because it's your opinion. You've you've analyzed. You've assessed. And it may wind up being right. I'm not saying all your opinions are wrong. But if all your opinions were right, then what? You'd be God. Good job, Nancy. That's exactly right. I mean, people cringe when I say this, as a, especially as a pastor, as a teacher. Somewhere along the line, probably I'm wrong in my theology. If I knew where it was, I'd what? I'd fix it. I'm not God. So I know that I'm at least the best I can be is 99.9999999% perfect. You know, somewhere along there, I've got to be wrong. Well, of course. There's probably, what? A lot of those places that I'm what? I'm wrong especially when it comes to my, my, my personality foibles, for sure. Okay? And the sad thing is that that flesh, that personality foibles, we like foibles because sin doesn't sound so good, right? And so those are the things that affect my insights and my opinions as well. So, Jesus' exhortation against judging. Judge not, lest what? You be judged. Okay, now... We can state there and say, okay, therefore I shouldn't what? Judge. But this transitions right here into this, why do, you, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, right? When you have a beam in your own eye. Okay? Because it switches now to the encouragement to assist. What Jesus says here is very, very important for us not to miss. Because again, we go back to verse 1. He's not saying that I shouldn't have discernment. He's not saying that I shouldn't judge Well, I shouldn't be what? Critical. I need to consider my own insights, quote-unquote, and discover whether they really are according to the kingdom standards or whether they're according to Bob's standards. 
Is it all about me or is it really about God? And so Jesus says here, he says, look, why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye when there's a beam in your own eye? But he continues it, right? He says, first, do what? Get rid of the beam in your own eye. Then, result, you will be able to see clearly to help your brother with his speck. He's not saying, then, don't have discernment and don't seek to help somebody else. What he's saying is, you better make sure what? You've taken care of your own problems before you worry about fixing somebody else's. One of the hardest things for me is marital counseling. Because again, Marcia and I are two sinners living with each other. What does that mean? There are issues at times. Even in our house. Figure that one out. Mm, yeah, mm. You got a video camera in my house? Anyways. Anyways, and so the reality is you got two sinners living together, right? I mean, even if we're 80% good. You do statistics and, and, and all that kind of stuff. You bring them together. That means that putting us together, now we only got a 64% chance of being good. Get it? You start playing that on it. Now we got what? Kids in the house. Let's say they're all 80% good too. You start, you put that 60, now I only got two left. You guys are really in trouble. Anyways, so you put that 0.64 times the 0.64, now we're down to what? 0.37. We're in trouble. You get what I'm saying? We're, we're sinners, and we got struggles. And the first step is I've got to what? I've got to realize that I am. If I don't recognize the fact that I'm a sinner and that I have a beam in my eye, then I'm not going to be able to help somebody else. And so I go into this marital counseling situation, and I've got to help somebody else fix their what? Their specs. They could be beams. But the reality is I know that I've got issues in my own life that i got to work through. It's a good opportunity for me, every, every marital counseling, to get on my knees before the Lord for my own counsel, for my own marriage. Counsel somebody regarding their, their walk with the Lord. It's a great opportunity to get on your knees and confess your failure before the Lord. Jesus isn't saying don't help anybody. And he's not saying don't have a standard. But he's already given us a standard, hasn't he? You've heard it said, but I what? Say unto you. There's the encouragement then to assist somebody else. Proverbs 10. When we get someone to read that, Proverbs 10, verses 11 to 14. Who wants to take that one? All right, Chuck. Who wants to take Proverbs um, 10, 19 and 21? 19 to 21. Okay, Asher, Proverbs 10, verse 31 and 32. Steve, Proverbs 15, verse 1 to 4. Brian, I saw your hand go up. No, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I saw it. Okay, and then while you're there, why don't you take verse 28 as well? Okay, so Chuck, you want to, real loud, please.
verse 19 to 21. Asher. Steve, verse 31 and 32. And then Brian, Proverbs 15. Do you hear how many times we read about the mouth of the righteous? Chapter 10, verse 11. Um, Wisdom is found on the lips of him who has understanding, verse 13. Wise people store up knowledge, verse 14. Verse 19 um, tells us that he who restrains his lips is wise. Verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. Verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many. Verse 31, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. Verse 32, the lips of the righteous know what is acceptable. Chapter 15 talks about the soft answer turning away wrath. But verse 2 says, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. Verse 4 says, the wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Verse 28 says, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer. There's a part where, if you have the righteousness of God within you, and you are spending time in his word, and you're being fed by it. In your heart, you're going to what? You're going to study how to what? How to answer. And when you open up your mouth, your desire is going to be, your aim is going to be, your focus is going to be, speaking truth, love. Building someone up, not tearing them down down. That's the key of this whole thing. It's the art of thinking critically without unnecessarily being critical. Discernment. Discernment. That's what we lack. That's what this this nation yearns for, and they don't get it. Discernment. It's the art of thinking critically. Not critical, being critical, but thinking critically, being able to process things, being able to analyze them, being able to figure out what's really wrong without unnecessarily being critical. I say unnecessarily because there is a part where when you stand before the throne of God, God's going to do what? He's going to judge. He's going to condemn. But ultimately, the condemnation of God I want you to think about this, is not him wantonly throwing his wrath on people. But again, Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2, why did the wrath of God come? What is the ultimate cause of judgment? Because men suppress the truth. We suppress the truth. We bring 
condemnation. We choose it. So back in our situation here, we're judged not lest you be judged, and with what judgment you just, it shall be measured unto you, right? First, take the log, the beam, out of your own eye. Be righteous. Be wise. Be discerning. Then you'll be what? You'll be able to see. So you can what? You can be the surgeon. You can help them. But if you have no concern about the beam in your own eye, then what? Shut up. Just shut up. I know, you're not supposed to tell people shut up. Close your mouth. Close your trap. You haven't got anything worth saying to help. Jesus goes on with this consideration of your audience. You say, look at this passage, you go, this, this casting your pearls before the swine. Where does this come in? Well, this comes in in this exact spot. Because it's all about helping and assisting and judging and discerning. Assuming, assuming that your insights are well-founded and you're giving them humbly. Will the individual you're talking to receive your insight? Again, answer a fool according to his folly and what? You'll be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Proverbs 9 says, He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will still be wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. If you're talking to someone who loves the Lord who wants to learn, who wants to glorify God, what are they going to do? Ultimately, they're going to receive it. They may, you know, remember I've said, you know, if I, if I need to be held accountable, probably at that moment I'm going to be in my flesh, and I'm probably going to be what? Struggle with it. But ultimately, I want you to what? I want you to hold me accountable. I want you to give me the insight. I want you to rebuke me. I want you to bring me back to the standard. Eventually, I'll, do, I'll accept that, even if that very moment I struggle with it. But you come up to a fool, one who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't care about a biblical standard, and you try to cast your pearls of wisdom, insight, maybe it's straight from God's word, your truth, you're speaking the truth in love, what are they going to do with it? Say again? Trample it. I think it's interesting, I don't have time to really go into this. He says, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor pearls before swine. Those are both terms used by the Gentiles. Okay, Jesus is really making a statement here. Okay, remember, Jew- Jewish audience. Okay, he's p- talking to a bunch of Jews. Those are both terms that they would refer to the Gentiles. Okay, and so um, the idea then is the righteous and the what? The unrighteous, the clean and the unclean, the holy and the unholy. And that's the whole point that he's, he's getting. Not that he's condemning the Gentiles, but he's again bringing a word picture that they would understand. You try to give biblical wisdom to someone who has no concept of biblical anything, and they're going to look at you like what? Like you're an idiot. It's no wonder when people trample biblical insight. Because they what? They don't get it. It's not to pick on them. It's just a fact. Jesus is just giving us, again, Proverbs as a fact. It's just a fact. Okay, And so we go on. 
And now he gets into this consideration of your ignorance. You say, what? A consideration of your ignorance? Well, this is ask, and it what? Will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened unto you. You're not going to ask. You're not going to seek. You're not going to knock. If what? If you don't realize that you have a need. Think context. We love this passage, and we want this passage to talk about your pink Cadillac. I know it's not really about a pink Cadillac, but you get it. Ask, and you what? You're going to receive. Knock. I mean, seek, and you're going to find. Knock, and it's going to be open unto you. Just keep badgering God, and he's going to give you what you want. No, this is all about this whole area of assessing others. Excuse me. Judging others. Having your insights and where you're going to use it. So, if you have this this situation where there's an individual, right, and you have to kind of work out, and you don't know exactly how you're going to respond, right? Because remember, the heart of the righteous, what? Studies how to answer. Remember, that's from the Proverbs. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer. So you don't know how to answer. What should you do? Good. Who said it? Ask. Ask who? Ask God. It's just kind of simple. I mean, it's not hard. I don't know what to do. So that means the first step i got to do is say that I what? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to answer this one. I'm continually amazed with Moses. I love Moses. He's so much like me. God, I don't want to go. (laughs) Get somebody else to go. I can't speak. God, what? God, I'm a nobody. Send somebody else. You're going. Get with it. I don't care what you say. All right, God, I'll go. And then he he goes out. You know, he's in in the wilderness, and people come to him, and they say, you know, uh, so... We're impure, but we want to take part of the, the, um, the Passover. So what do we do? Well, according to the wisdom that God has given to me, I think that we need to handle it this way. He doesn't say that. What does he say? I don't know. Hold on. Yeah, that's exactly right. I don't know. Hold on. I'm, I, yeah, I'm going to go ask God. Ah, oh, good grief, Moses. The last time you went to talk to God... It was 40 days later. And by that time, we were worshiping a, a calf, and you, you had to destroy it in us, and then you went back up for another 40 days. I was kind of hoping to get an answer right now. Don't we live in a microwave age? It takes two and a half minutes to pop popcorn in a microwave? Why hasn't technology really improved I mean, I should be able to put that bag in there, hit a button, and pull it right back out without it burning my fingers. Now, I'm laughing. I'm, I'm making a goof, right? But that's where we're at. In our, I want espresso, and I want it what? Now, what do you mean you've got to open up a new bag? You should be ready for me right now. But if you need wisdom, you've got to admit that you what? You need it. And then you have to what? you got to ask. But asking means that there's a recognition that you really believe that what? God will give it to you. That's where James 1 comes in. I'm going to skip Proverbs 2 and 3. I want you to read those. You know those passages. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? Lean on your own understanding. And he will direct your path, right? Because it's from the Lord that you get this wisdom. But James 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him what? Ask of God. Who does what? Who gives to Who? Oh, he's very, God, God doesn't really do that. I mean, don't believe that. I, I, 
he didn't really mean that in that passage. He's selective. He, he only gives it to people who he really wants to give it to. Is that what it says? It's not what it says. He gives to all what? Liberally. You didn't want to know that God was really liberal, did you? You thought God was a conservative, that he'd been on our side, okay? But God gives to all what? Liberally. But, but when you ask, there's a condition, you have to ask how? In faith. You have to what? Believe that God's really going to what? Give you the wisdom. I can't tell you how many times, this has nothing to do with judging, necessarily, but in the workplace, how many times I didn't know how to do certain things that people asked me to do. But I knew that I could all, do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who gave me wisdom. And I would cry, I, God, I don't know how to do this. And if you want me to do this job, you're going to have to what? You're going to have to give me wisdom. And I believe it. I 100% believe that God will both enable me with the a physical ability, and he'll enable me with wisdom to accomplish whatever task he lays in front of me. Whatever task. I haven't felt led to walk on the tightrope across the Niagara Falls. I haven't felt led to get into a wheelbarrow of somebody else walking across the tightrope. But if I believed, now here's the deal, but if I felt that God was telling me to walk across the tightrope across the Niagara Falls, then what? I'm going to do it. <laughs> Bated breath. <laughs> going across. But if that's what God wants me to do, then he's going to give me the ability and the wisdom. So, counseling. I don't always know the answer. But I believe that if God brings somebody across my path that he wants me to minister to, that he will enable me, if I keep my mouth shut, to be able to discern what their need is, and he will use me as his voice box to minister to them. But I've got to, first of all, admit what? I can't help them. I have a need. I've got a beam in my own eye. And so I ask God. I seek God. I knock at his door. And what does he do for me? He opens it up to provide wisdom. Finally, the summation statement is a consideration of your motivation. What is your ultimate motivation? Jesus says, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also what? To them. Why? This is the law and the prophets. This sums it up. I mean, you take all the law and the prophets, you put them together, and you want to sum it up into one statement as it comes to the loving your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory about yourself, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That means I'm looking on your stuff. But it's not to judge your stuff, but rather that I can come along and what? Assist you. 
Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form, morphe, nature of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. I have got to honestly think of you as more, being more important than me. And I, I'm honest. I mean, I can share this because I know you struggle with it, or most of you do anyway. I struggle with that. I love me. There's, there's no problem with, with me loving myself. I have an inordinate problem with loving myself. And I want to spend my time on me. And I want to spend my money on me. Now, God's good, and he helps me with that. Does that make sense? But in within myself, there's that battle that goes on. And in my love for God... I have to love those he loves. That's this body. And that also is every individual that he's ever created. So the people that are out there not going to church today, I don't care if they're going, if they're going to other church, we'll leave them go. But there's the people out there that are purposely not going to church. And they're probably within a, a quarter mile distance of us. And there's probably a lot of them. Do you know what? God loves them. They're fearfully and wonderfully made, just like I am. He knows every hair that's on their head. He created them in his own image and his own likeness. And he desires for them to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, not for me to condemn them. We're working on verses in our memory time about the harvest. The harvest is what? It's plentiful. But the what? The laborers are few. Do you know why a lot of laborers don't go into the field? Or why they're really not laborers? Because they're condemning the crop. They're condemning the crop. It's not a worthy crop. Lord, give me a worthy crop and I'll go. Aren't you glad someone didn't condemn your crop? And they went into your field? so that you could be harvested? How high of a view do you have of your own quote-unquote insights? When sharing your insight, what's your motivation? Are you more interested in sharing what you know or assisting the other individual? When sharing your insight, is it more to have the other person think and act like you or how God would have them think? Too many times that's exactly what it is, isn't it? We want to prove our point and make them think like us. Is it your habit to, habit to seek God's wisdom before you share insights with others? And finally, is there a need then to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your mercy. We're grateful, Lord, that it's new every morning. Lord, that you have the right in your perfection to condemn us. You didn't have to die for us. You didn't have to love us. It could have all been over with Adam and Eve. But you showed us what true love is. And yet, Lord, you, you desire for us to become conformed to your image and into your likeness through the transforming and the renewing of our minds through your word. And so you who began the good work in us, will, you continue to perform it 
Lord, you said to the day of Christ. And I know that you want us to be a part of that. As you, we've memorized from Ephesians 4, Lord, that, that you are working in us as a, as a body, Lord, to, to provoke one another to love and good works, Hebrews 10, and, and as a body to, to each one being a part and to speaking the truth and love and encouraging one another into the perfection that is in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful. To be faithful, Lord, to be humble. To be faithful to seek your face for your truth. To be faithful, Lord, to, to look for the imperfections, the beams that's in our own eye, that we might be able to be used by you to minister honestly and truly to others for your kingdom's glory and not for our own puffed-up glory. Lord, be magnified in this assembly. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's close with, um, I think it's making me a blessing, is what I, I picked, yes? 670? 670.